Hey, it's Shannon Ballard. If you're new to Southern Mysteries and you enjoy the show, you can hear more stories when you join me on Patreon. Along with ad-free episodes, you can access the Southern Mysteries archive of more than 60 episodes, plus more than 40 Patreon-exclusive episodes. Thanks to my new patrons, Shazza from Daytona Beach, Florida, Alicia from Ocala, Florida, and Pat and Christy, listening from mysterious locations. Your support means so much to me, and I hope you enjoy catching up and listening to all the stories that are available to you on Patreon. Thanks to their support and the support of all my patrons, I get to continue to share stories like you'll hear today. You can learn more about the Southern Mysteries Patreon and join today at patreon.com slash southern mysteries. This episode is an expanded and updated version of an episode from the Southern Mysteries Patreon archives. Originally featured in 2021, this year marks the 60th anniversary of the disappearance of 22-year-old Hannah Jane Rowell. The aspiring actress and writer was last seen leaving her Baton Rouge, Louisiana home. Her strange husband believed Jane abandoned the family to try to make it in Hollywood. Her distraught and protective brother vowed there was foul play and Jane would never abandon her children. Was she murdered, or did the allure of fame lead a young mother to drive away from her Louisiana home and never return? Welcome to Southern Mysteries, exploring the history and mysteries of the American South. I'm your host, Shannon Ballard. This is the mystery of the disappearance of Jane Rowell. Hannah Jane Rowell was born in Jefferson County, Mississippi, in 1941. Her mother was a schoolteacher, her father a moonshiner and farmer. Around 1948, the Rowells moved to Baton Rouge. Tragically, within the next four years, Jane and her three siblings would become orphans. Their father took his own life. Their mother died following a long hospitalization and battle with tuberculosis. Jane shared a strong bond with her mother, who was passionate about writing and keeping a detailed journal during the final months of her life. After losing their parents, Jane and her siblings faced an uncertain and increasingly unstable future. Over a few years, they stayed with different family members— Just as they felt settled with an aunt, they would be moved to an uncle's home or to the home of family friends. From one month to the next, things changed. Jane longed for security and a true place to call home. She also dreamed of fame. Jane was passionate about writing and acting, and that passion turned into a sense of meaning during an unsettled season of life. As a junior high student, she excelled in the classroom and enjoyed reporting on local events for the Baton Rouge Advocate. When she entered high school, the budding beauty with her dark hair and blue eyes was popular and loved by her classmates. She continued to excel in class and on stage, winning Best Actress for her school productions three consecutive years. Jane had the it factor. She was beautiful smart, and likable. 
After graduation, she attended Southeastern Louisiana College in Hammond. It's about an hour east of Baton Rouge. She entered the theater program where it quickly became clear she was destined to be a star. By the summer of 1959, press in Baton Rouge and New Orleans started chasing rumors that Jane Rowell was headed to Hollywood. That fall, a columnist with the New Orleans Times-Picayune shared that in the spring, Jane met Hollywood director and screenwriter Natalie Johnson in the French Quarter. The two met for lunch when the director came to town for Mardi Gras. While in New Orleans, Johnson did what directors do. He looked for new and promising talent. When Johnson heard about Jane, he traveled to Southeastern to watch a production of a stage play called Suspect. Jane was the lead, and Nunnally expressed interest in her because he was impressed by her range. After the column was published with those rumors about Hollywood, Jane was starring in a new play at Southeastern. She took questions from the media following a show and was asked if she was on her way to Hollywood. Jane shocked her classmates and the media when she announced she would be leaving Southeastern at the end of the semester because she was engaged to her high school sweetheart. A Hammond newspaper quoted her as saying, I have abandoned this motion picture foolishness and accepted my sweetheart's marriage proposal. He was a track star at the University of Houston at Texas and today is a high school coach and teacher in Baton Rouge. When a reporter asked Jane about Tinseltown and mentioned those rumors that she was going to be the next Ava Gardner, Jane replied that she wasn't the next Ava Gardner, but she was proud to say she would soon be Mrs. Wilton Clement. On October 30, 1959, 18-year-old Jane Rowell married 26-year-old Wilton Clement in Baton Rouge. This decision shocked many people, but those who watched Jane grow up in an unstable environment understood her choice, her desire for marriage and family, over the bright lights of Hollywood. Jane and Wilton moved into a lovely little home on Sorrel Avenue. They welcomed two children, and Jane occasionally directed plays at her old high school. She also wrote for her local paper. Writing was an outlet for her as a mom and wife, something she enjoyed so much she began writing a novel. We don't know when it happened, but at some point, Jane expressed to friends that she felt a little regret. She loved her children, but felt like she missed her chance at greatness. This feeling was made stronger because her marriage was collapsing. By 1962, Wilton and Jane were often overheard fighting, and there was clearly tension in their relationship. That tension led to a Christmas Eve fight in 1962 that ended with Jane being hospitalized. That day, Wilton and Jane fought over how much time she was spending on that novel. The argument escalated, and Jane was admitted to the hospital for bruising to her back and neck. She spent the next week in her hospital room, recovering and working out what to do next. When she was discharged, Mrs. Jane Clement 
didn't go home to the house she shared with Wilton on Sorrel Avenue. She and her children stayed with friends, and Jane filed for divorce. By the end of March 1963, Jane was granted the house on Sorrel Avenue, along with full custody of her two-year-old and seven-month-old. Jane was close to her brother Wiley, who was a pillar of support as she began a new life as a single mother. She was honest with Wiley, told him she feared living alone, which is why her protective brother, who lived in New Orleans, often visited and stuck around for a few days. There were clear signs Jane was afraid of something or someone. Along with the fear of staying alone at the house, she wrote a letter to her infant daughter and asked that it be given to her when she turned 18. Weeks later, Jane Rowell vanished. Her disappearance was strange and unexpected because 22-year-old Jane was trying to balance hope for the future with the fear of her ex. She must have been feeling what she had felt as a child, her life being unsettled again. She started writing more chapters of her novel, and despite any regret over her career, Jane's friends and neighbors described her as a completely devoted and protective mother. Her sudden disappearance made no sense to them. Jane's estranged husband, Wilton, had visitation with the kids, so her brother Wiley tried to be at Jane's house when Wilton arrived to pick them up. Wiley was at Jane's house on Easter Sunday, 1963. He witnessed Wilton pick up the kids for their scheduled visitation hours on April 7th, and Wiley later told police that when Wilton arrived, Wilton and Jane argued. Wiley couldn't hear exactly what the fight was about, but it was clear something was very wrong. After Wilton left the house with the kids, Wiley and Jane had lunch before Wiley headed out to meet up with a friend. He spent some time fishing at the river before heading home to New Orleans. Jane was so cautious and worried so much about something bad happening to her that she asked her neighbor and friend, Mrs. Dudley Jeffers, to call her every day. Wiley knew about the plan, in which Jane told Mrs. Jeffers that if the day came she didn't answer the phone, she should call Wiley to let him know. Ten days later, on April 17th, Mrs. Jeffers called Wiley to let him know she had tried to call Jane for days, but Jane hadn't answered. She apologized for waiting so long to call, but explained that initially she assumed Jane and the kids had gone to New Orleans to visit Wiley. As days passed and Jane didn't answer, Mrs. Jeffers worried and finally called Wiley, who immediately left work and drove to Baton Rouge. He met Mrs. Jeffers at Jane's house. With no answer at the door and no key, Wiley headed to the back door to break the glass. He walked through each room to see if anything seemed out of place. He first noticed Jane's clothes. What appeared to be all of her belongings were still in her room, along with her makeup. When he walked into the laundry room, he found mildewed clothes in the dryer. It was out of character for Jane to leave clothes to mildew. 
she was very particular about her laundry. Apart from the laundry, Wiley said everything else seemed in its place. Wiley called Wilton to ask if Jane and the kids were at his house. Wilton said Jane wasn't with him, but the kids were. He explained he tried to drop the kids off after visitation ended on Easter Sunday, but when he got to Jane's house, she wasn't home. He turned around and took the kids back to his house. Wiley asked Wilton why he hadn't called or checked in. At this point, it had been 10 days since anyone had seen Jane Rowell. Wilton was quick to say he assumed Jane left town, abandoned the family, and was headed for Hollywood. Wiley hung up the phone and immediately called the police. The Baton Rouge City Police and the local sheriff's office responded, and after speaking with Wiley and Mrs. Jeffers, they talked to Wilton, who told investigators about the last time he saw his wife. But he had a different story for investigators than he had shared with Wiley. Forbidden history, grisly ghosts, monstrous cryptids, and harrowing folklore dominate Japan's history and culture. Mysterious Japan is a bi-weekly podcast presenting these spine-chilling horror stories, urban legends, and unbelievable histories in a campfire story format. Many of these tales have never been presented in English before. Our journey takes place where dark history and supernatural folklore collide. Mysterious Japan is produced, written, and translated by recognized Japan expert Dr. Heath Avey. Season 1 relates the unbelievable legends and ghost stories from the so-called suicide forest. Listen to Mysterious Japan for free on Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Learn more at our website at themysteriousjapan.com and be transported by unbelievable stories where the lines between reality and folklore become blurred in the shadowlands of Japan. Once again, that's themysteriousjapan.com. Wilton said he brought the children back after visitation ended Easter Sunday and saw Jane. He told police he left the children with her, and the next morning, Monday, April 8th, Jane called him and asked if he could pick up the kids. Wilton claimed Jane had been offered a job and had a lunch meeting with the owner of a club on Bourbon Street in New Orleans. He explained he wanted to help Jane, so he picked up the kids and called late that night to see when he needed to bring them home. But there was no answer. Wilton said he never tried to call again or thought much of it because in his mind, there were a few reasons Jane could be away from home. He figured she may have taken the job offer, maybe decided to stay with Wiley in New Orleans for a few days, or had left to pursue her dream of making it in Hollywood. Police looked into the claim of the job offer, but there was no known evidence of a job interview on that Monday or any job for Jane in New Orleans. She hadn't been staying with her brother either. And the Hollywood angle just didn't sit well with the police. Since the day Jane Rowell was last seen, on April 7, 1963, she made no appearance in a movie. Investigators focused on Jane's home to try to answer the question of what happened to this young mom. When they searched the house, Wiley was asked to do a walkthrough with police, 
point out anything that seemed out of place. During that walkthrough, Wiley stopped police and told them he had just noticed something he didn't notice earlier. He told police a pink bedspread he normally used when he stayed at the house wasn't on the back of the couch where Jane always left it for him. Police searched the home for it, but it's never been found. That bedspread is the only piece of potential evidence that was confirmed to be missing from inside Jane's house. When police canvassed Jane's neighborhood, they found that no one noticed anything suspicious or had seen any strange cars leading up to the weekend Jane disappeared. With all of Jane's belongings still in the home, all of her lovely clothes and her makeup that she surely needed if she was headed to Hollywood, investigators began to press Wilton Clements about his version of what happened to Jane. Was there foul play in the disappearance of Jane Rowe? Investigators distributed bulletins with Jane's description nationwide. They spoke with her friends and former classmates from high school and college who lived in Mississippi, Alabama, Florida, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. None of them had spoken with Jane recently. They had no idea where she could be which brought detectives back to Wilton Clement. Jane disappeared about three weeks after the court order for their official separation was issued. Police asked Wilton if he was angry that Jane got custody of their kids and took his house. Did he take his anger out on Jane as he had Christmas Eve 1962? Wilton Clement maintained Jane left and he had no idea where she was. With no known evidence linking Wilton to the disappearance of Jane, Wilton Clement was never officially named a suspect in her disappearance. The district attorney allegedly collected evidence related to Jane's disappearance that was presented before a grand jury. That evidence and outcome has never been made public. Jane's aunt, Mary Baker, continued to do all she could to help find her niece. Mrs. Baker lived in Natchez, Mississippi, and rallied all the help she could to run ads in regional newspapers. She offered a $500 reward for information about her niece's disappearance. Mrs. Baker waited and hoped, but never received a response from those ads. There was a potential lead in December 1963, when newspapers reported the discovery of a body near Benbrook Lake Dam outside of Fort Worth, Texas. Authorities in Texas confirmed the skeletal remains were female. Reporters asked if this could be related to the disappearance of Jane Rowell. Texas authorities said it was highly unlikely. The remains found in Texas appeared to be from a woman who was five foot seven, 135 pounds, with strawberry blonde hair. Jane Rowell was about five foot three, 100 pounds, with dark hair. Authorities did their due diligence. They requested Jane Rowell's dental records for comparison and determined there was no match. In 1965, Jim Crane, a Louisiana columnist, interviewed Jane's brother, Wiley Rowell. 
He was working on a feature story about Jane, trying to bring attention back to the case, hoping to stir up some tips to get answers for Wiley and everyone who cared for Jane. As the men sat in a New Orleans cafe, Wiley told Jim Crane that Jane's disappearance is the sort of thing you never get over, that there had been no peace in his family since Jane disappeared. He said it felt worse than knowing someone you loved has died because you're left with a nightmare of never knowing what happened to them, or at the very least, having confirmation of what you suspect. Jim Crane asked the question, what do you think really happened to Jane? Wiley looked up at Jim and replied, murder. I'd stake my life on it. Since the day Jane disappeared in 1963, there has never been a confirmed sighting of her. Wiley Rowell died in 2008. Wilton Clement remained in Baton Rouge, where he retained custody of his children. They remained in Louisiana, where Wilton died in 2022. H.L. Aldridge is the creator of Bayou Justice, a weekly true crime newspaper column featuring crime stories from South Louisiana. Earlier this year, Bayou Justice featured the case of Jane Rowell for the second time. Aldridge wrote that in April 2020, he spoke with Jane's daughter, Janet. Janet shared that when she was in college, she met her Uncle Wiley at a cafe where he shared memories about her mom and gave her pictures of Jane. Janet said to her, it was clear her uncle was close to her mom and had never gotten over her mother's disappearance. She said it was also clear Wiley was on drugs of some kind that day. Apparently, he felt bad about their meeting and reached out to Janet years later to apologize, explaining he had been nervous. Janet explained to Bayou Justice that her mother's family was, quote, a little crazy, saying of Jane, her father shot himself while he had a drug problem, and Patsy, my mom's older sister, ran away years before my mother disappeared. Janet also revealed a sighting of her mother after Jane disappeared in 1963, a sighting that has never been confirmed by police. Janet said she had been named after Janet Robinson, a woman who helped raise the Rao children after they lost their parents. Janet met with her namesake, who told her she had seen Jane Rao years after Jane was reported missing. She was at a gathering with friends in Pascagoula, Mississippi. She was shocked to look up and see a woman who resembled Jane in the crowd. She tried to approach her, but by the time she made it across the room, this woman had disappeared in the crowd. Janet asked a woman who had been sitting beside the mystery woman if she knew who she was. She said all she knew was the woman introduced herself as Jane. When asked what she believed happened to her mother, Jane's daughter, Janet, defended her father, Wilton, saying Wiley and maybe the police think my dad did something to her, but you will never find a more easygoing, mild-tempered man. Janet said her mother may have been murdered, but she knew her father, and there was no way he was responsible for her mother's death. 
As Janet claimed, mystery and tragedy seemed to weigh heavy over the Rao family. In the years since Jane disappeared, it's been confirmed that back in 1953, her sister Patsy also disappeared. There have been rumors that Patsy was pregnant and single, and it's been reported that, unlike Jane, law enforcement did not investigate Patty's disappearance because no one ever filed an official missing person report. Wilton Clement told police Jane abandoned her family for Hollywood, which in his mind meant it was possible that Jane, who was only 22 when she went missing, could have met someone else and started another family. Jane never appeared in a movie, but as Bayou Justice learned, there are some bizarre coincidences related to Jane Rowell, to California, and specifically to Hollywood. Jane's full name was Hannah Jane Rowell Clement. A 29-year-old woman mysteriously disappeared from her home in California in 1993. Her name was Hannah Jane Rowell. If you look up Hannah Jane Rowell missing, these cases are often confused because of that similarity. In 2017, an actress named Jane Clement appeared in a movie called Dead Ringer. The 35-year-old actress looks exactly like the young Hannah Jane Rowell Clement who went missing in 1963. The actress was born in England, and there's no known connection between the two. It's just a bizarre coincidence and another dead end in the Jane Rowell disappearance. All we have are theories. Perhaps that pink bedspread was missing from her home because that's where Jane was killed. The killer wrapped her body in it and removed her body and disposed of it. There is another heartbreaking theory. We know Jane's father took his own life when she was a child. We know Jane was struggling and fearful in the weeks before she went missing. Some would say paranoid. It's been suggested she may have taken her own life. But the fact that her remains were never found makes that seem unlikely. If Jane Rowell died in April 1963, rather than taking off somewhere to pursue a career, it seems far more likely she was murdered and the killer went to great lengths to make sure her body was never found. After sharing a story featuring Jane's daughter, Janet, this year, Bayou Justice writer H.L. Aldridge got a call from Jane Rowell's first cousin, Jan. She wanted to respond to a few things Janet had said about the case. First, regarding the unconfirmed sighting of Jane Rowell in Mississippi years after her disappearance, Jan pointed out that most of the cousins in the family looked a lot alike. She said she was mistaken for Jane many times in the years after Jane disappeared, to the point people stopped her on the streets and asked if she was Jane. Jane also said her father, Jane's uncle Winifred Rowell, wasn't as vocal as Wiley Rowell, but he too investigated his sister's disappearance. He was friends with local police, and he was convinced Jane had been murdered. And he was convinced he knew where her body was. 
Jan explained that a well-known Baton Rouge business was building a new showroom just down the street from Jane Rowe's house on Sorrel Avenue. On Monday, April 8, 1963, the business poured the slab. Jane's uncle Winifred was convinced his niece was under that concrete, wrapped in the missing pink bedspread from her home. Police never believed his theory, and the business refused to disturb the concrete. But Jan believes that modern-day ground-penetrating radar should be used in that location to try to solve this mystery. As Jan said, there's no bringing back Jane, but there is still the chance they could bring her home, give her the burial she deserves, and give the family the closure they've needed for 60 years. Southern Mysteries is created and hosted by me, Shannon Ballard. You can find sources for this episode and learn more about the show at southernmysteries.com. If you enjoy Southern Mysteries, you can help more people discover the show by rating and reviewing this independent podcast where you're listening. And tell your friends about Southern Mysteries. Word of mouth is how I find out about most of my favorite podcasts, so it's a great way to help spread the word about Southern Mysteries. Thanks so much for listening. Be all right. We're careful what